0: This is the 343 podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Joey Cassio is now in the lead for the most guest appearances on the 343 podcast, and rightfully so. Of all the youth coaches that I have had the privilege and pleasure of meeting, interviewing, and getting to know, Joey's work continues to shine brighter than the pack and catch my eye, no matter where he finds himself coaching. And I guess I should also add right there, no matter how long he is coaching there. In one of our frequent late-night text message conversations, I asked Joey if we could record another episode and talk about how he has been able to successfully implement a discernible style of play in such short amounts of time with every team that he's worked with. And even though quick stops are not ideal, quick stops at multiple clubs are not preferable, but a possession-based identity has clearly been present at each stop that Joey has made. And it's a feat that, in my opinion, is bordering on remarkable. And I want to take the time to recognize Joey for that. And I also wanted to take the time to talk to him about it. So after a few more texts that night in our late night text message conversation, he agreed to record another episode. We set a date and we set a time. And then I completely forgot about it. I my mind was just gone. Uh, It was time to record. Joey texted me. He's like, hey, man, I'm waiting. And I was uh, halfway through my breakfast at a coffee shop that was 20 minutes away from my studio. So we quickly rescheduled. And what you are about to hear was recorded just a couple of days later. And after recording, I asked Joey to send me some videos of his teams that could accompany the written portion of this podcast. And the video that he sent me is on 343coaching.com, and I highly, highly, highly recommend going to check it out because this video serves another purpose. It is showcasing work that is worth showcasing, and you will hear Joey and I address some of this during the podcast itself. I hope that you enjoy it when we get to that point. Uh, while you are on 343coaching.com and looking at Joey's video, you can also find information about the program that helped Joey develop this style of play with his teams. It's a program that Joey actually had the pleasure of seeing up close and personal when he attended training sessions and games following Brian very closely. And if you look very closely in certain videos from the 343 membership, you can actually see Joey in some of them. It's pretty cool. Um, and. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna transition real quick because I've been thinking a lot about this and, and how to describe 343 3 if people ask. So, if I had to pick one thing that 343 3 is known for, I would say it's possession soccer. And if I was grilled more on what that actually meant, I would say, okay, building out of the back because it's hard to narrow it down to, to just one or two things. There's so much more to it. But if a gun was to my head, and that's probably what I would say. And if you think that I'm crazy for using that type of analogy to talk about coaching youth soccer, well, I think we're crazy for giving away lessons about that shit for free. Yeah. So if you want this, you can get lessons about building out of the back and an introduction to the entire 343 methodology in a free online course. And you're going to hear Joey talk about it. You're going to hear how he used this information to build the identity with every team that he's been with. And if you like, how that free course tastes, we have a premium course to satisfy your hunger. So you can find all of that information plus so much more, plus the video of Joey's uh, Joey's work by visiting three, four, three coaching.com. That's the numbers three, four and three coaching, the word coaching all spelled out.com. And uh, I think that's it for this intro. I'm really excited about this episode. I think it's the best conversation that Joey and I have recorded to date. And I hope that you enjoy. This episode of the Three Four Three Podcast with Joey Cassio. All right, cool. You ready? I'm ready, man. Let's do it. Um, so uh, I guess I'll start with, uh, the same thing i mentioned when i when i released the michael perkins podcast a, a few days ago or sorry not a few days ago it was yesterday um and that is that people want to hear more from youth coaches and about the process and and about the you know the day-to-day stuff and 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 they can relate to that uh to the youth coaches that come on the podcast more so than um you know a professional coach an, an ex-player uh w- while those stories are still very interesting and cool and, and and we can learn from those people uh they relate more to the youth soccer coaches that come on this on this program and and I I've gone back before and I've looked at you know the download history of of certain episodes and you know what is still getting plays even though it, it was released 2 years ago or 3 years ago and and in large part it is those those episodes that are about coaching youth soccer and where people can gain a little bit of value from them that that tend to to be the evergreen type of episodes and one of those episodes is when you and I actually sat down at Cal State LA after one of your training sessions with LAFC and we kind of broke down what a academy training session was like and that episode still gets a lot of traction and one of the re- or or one of the things that i reached out to you about the other day was how you know over the course of several years and over the course of being with several clubs you've managed to maintain and display a certain style of play with every team that you've that you've coached and i find that quite remarkable um and I wanted to talk to you about that specific topic. So I guess uh, to open the episode, I'm not going to make you introduce yourself because if people want to learn more about you, they can go to the other ones we've recorded. Um, but but to open the episode, I kind of want to just hear you talk about that. Like How, how have you uh, been able to implement a, a specific style of play and, and identity at all of these different clubs. And if you want to give people the history of, of where you've been and, and the ages and, and the struggles and, and things like that, we can get into it. Um, but I'm, I'm going to kind of just throw it at you and, and, and see what you have to say. Yeah. First, thanks for
1: having me again, John. I, I appreciate it. And I enjoy sharing my story. It's always, it's always good. Um, and I'm happy to help other coaches if if I can um my process I mean look it I think it all starts with you know a a certain joy that you get from from football from soccer um me uh the joy that I got or where it all kind of started was when I was still playing and having my eyes open to possession possession possession-based soccer um and once I experienced that like it just there was a fire that never really went away you know i would seek it out through watching games on tv um you know after my playing career i i wanted to stay involved because i i loved it so much so i just naturally got into coaching and then as i was coaching you know you you have like a certain vision of how you want your teams to play and in the beginning of that process like you have no idea of how to make that happen, you know, um so me I just there was a hunger, and I seeked out certain people I seek out brian um and I'm very lucky that that he was someone who was willing to open up you know his sessions to me, not a problem whatsoever, and not just sit there on the sideline but actually be involved in the session, you know so learning learning from him and and seeing the sort of soccer that I enjoyed in his teams um, that just added to the fire. You know, I, I I loved it. I was like, Oh man, I I want my teams to play in this way as well. Um, So that's where it kind of started. And then, you know, through many, many years of experiences and highs and lows, you know, that that's what sort of uh, it forms you as a coach. Uh, it, it establishes you as a coach. All these experiences, all these different things that that you go through in the learning process. Um, so yeah, I, when I started at Canyon FC, you know, in the beginning, and there's not there's I don't really have any footage of maybe the first couple years of my time there. Um, but like year three is when I started to take what I was learning uh, from from the sessions with Brian. You know, and of course, adding my own personality to it, my own flavor to it. And, yeah, sure enough, like within six months, these teams started to show um, show some of that identity. Uh, and, you know, these are lower level players at the time. Bronze, you know, in, in Coast Soccer League, which is uh, the very bottom division of that league. Uh, and then... After that year, we sort of started to move up silver, silver elite. So we were getting promoted, you know, not always winning the league, but if you finish like in the top two or three, you'd get promoted to the next division. So they were playing good soccer, you know, getting enough results to be promoted. And that just kept pushing me. It it kept me hungry. I wanted more. I wanted more and more all the time. So I just, I never stopped. And after about, Five, six years, I believe it was, at Canyon FC, you know, I, I was sort of ready to work with a different type of player, maybe a higher level, maybe maybe a more uh, soccer first demographic, you know, culture where it's the number one sport in the household. And I I realized that after, you know, the handful of years at Canyon FC. So I... I seeked out things. I was I was actively looking for another opportunity. And it just so happened that it came about at FC Man United, a a small club. And the team that I took over, I had two teams, both of the same age. So I had an A and a B team. So it was kind of a cool situation where um, I was able to kind of move players around a little bit, you know, because when I got there, I realized that the top. 2014 yeah they're good they they just they were actually a bronze team they smoked everybody in the bronze division and they actually won um the league cup so all the teams at that age from every division in the league play in a tournament and they beat everybody so they they were a bronze team the bottom division and they beat everybody all the way up to the gold division so because they did that they got promoted straight to the gold division. So I don't, I've never heard of that being done before. They went from bronze to gold in (laughs) one year. But when I got there, I, I looked at the team and I thought, okay, yeah, there's good individual players here, but you know, there's still a lot of work to be done. You know, there wasn't really an identity. They got by with just good individual talent. And I saw, okay, I, I need to still bring in some, some players to implement the, the identity that I wanted to implement, I needed, you know, a few more of the right players to be able to do that. So when I got there, it was a difficult situation. There were teams on the A team that I felt like "Mm, not good enough. I need to, I need to encourage some of these players to be on the B team. Now that's, that was a very difficult thing, you know, telling parents like, look, you know, I, I think that this will be a better situation for your son. You know, I don't think he's going to get too much time on the field with the A team. And at this point in his career, he needs to be playing. You know, he, he's welcome to train with both teams if he'd like, but you know, for games on the weekend, I think he needs to be with this team. Um, I convinced a couple, and then another player left. They they couldn't accept that, and then I went and brought in five new players for the A team, and that really really helped. You know, it allowed us to start to implement. My identity very quickly. You know, it, it took maybe a couple months for these kids to start playing possession-based soccer very well. And they were eleven, eleven years old at the time; ten years old at the time. I had like four or five two thousand fives playing up. They were very, very good, and and yeah, we had success. I was I was only with that club for like six, seven months. That's when the LAFC thing came about, uh, and the Golden State thing just before that. And a lot of those players went with me there, you know. So I was I was excited. I was like, "All right, this is cool. This is a project that I want to see out to the very end." You know, I got a good group to build on here. Um, It didn't quite work out that way, but you know, going to LAFC again, I was able to find the players that I wanted. I I didn't have any limitations in terms of pay to play. I could go get the players that I wanted, and and I identified twenty six players. Brought them into LAFC. And again, you know, higher level players, I think if you can deliver the message well, you can get them to start implementing your, your identity within a shorter period. I think sometimes it takes six months to a year. But I realized with the higher level players and then my ability to deliver the message and communicate my ideas, I started to see it in a shorter amount of time. So maybe three, four months we are really playing good soccer.
0: Um you know no, real real quick, I wanna I wanna interrupt you before you get on to, to the next parts of the of the story, but you've mentioned now that you've brought in, you know, players at, at different stages and and um I, I'm just I'm curious how or, or or what the the first step is when it comes to integrating the players and then also like what are the first things that you need to teach these players when it comes to your, your style, like, like what, what are weeks one, two, and three like? Um, Because I feel like uh, coaches that are going to be listening to this will, will definitely relate to that.
1: Yeah. The first step of the process, obviously you identify the player, right. And you go through the process of bringing them into the environment and you also have to manage the existing players who are already there. It's not so much the players. I think, you know, parents can be a little uh a little nervous about new players coming in so it's just i don't really go to the parents and communicate too much with them about it i just tell the players like hey look this is so and so introduce yourselves throughout the session make them feel welcome let's have a good session they're they're just as important as everybody else here so make them feel a part of the group from from the get go uh and and sort of like have the existing players uh be leaders you know and i think that's maybe takes away some of the anxiety of like oh this new guy coming in what position does he play you know is, is he potentially going to take my spot you know you want to try to get rid of that anxiety right away and so i try to just loosen the the environment a little bit make them feel every, make everybody feel good about new players coming in and how it's going to help the team Um, then yeah, once they start training with the team, you know, even when I see, even when I've seen a lot of individual talent in games when recruiting, you know, they come in and they start, they start the 4v1 rondos and it's a disaster usually, (laughs) you know, just, just the basic stuff, the basic stuff of receiving across the body, you know, foot quality, how, how good is their first touch? How good are they they wait are they waiting their passes? you know little tiny things like that because you know the players who have been doing it for a while uh, they, they've they've set the standard, and a lot of times when players come in that they're not quite at that standard yet they have to work at it so and and usually the way that I do the rundos is if I've got two or three set up, I've got two or three groups, most of the time, I set it up to where. Like the best technical players are in one group, you know, and then it sort of tears down from that. Maybe the the middle group is, you know, they're okay technically, and then the third group needs work. And I put them together. Um, and then as as they continue to do well, I almost have like a promotion relegation thing within the rondos. So if this guy's made a lot of progress, all right, let's move you up. Let's move you up to the next group. There are days where I do. Uh, position-specific as well. So, like, I'll have uh, the back five all together in a rondo. I'll have, you know, the midfielders, attacking midfielders, maybe some of the the attacking players, the forward line in in another rondo. But for the most part, I'd say I do it to where, like, it's tiered technically. But, yeah, when new players come in, mm, they don't usually start off with the top group they're usually with the third or second group and then they work their way up.
0: What, what would and, be a case when you do insert that person into the top group? Cause I know that you've done that before.
1: Like straight away.
0: Yeah. Like, like, why, like why, why, why would you drop somebody into, into that top group? If they're
1: like, if, if they're okay. So let's say I know a kid is special, special kid, a lot of potential. And I want to make sure I lock that kid into the team. I'm going to put him in the, in the top group. Like maybe he's not quite at the, at the level of the rest of the players, but I want him to see how good the top group is. And maybe he's, it's a real challenge for him. And, and he realizes like, okay, this is, this is top level. This is good for me. This is a good challenge for me. This is where I need to be. So almost using it as a recruiting tool. Is that, is that what you're, what you mean?
0: What's the, well, what would be the opposite of that? Cause I know you've done the opposite of that too, or I've done the opposite of that.
1: Like an, like an existing player, drop them down.
0: No. So I'm, uh, uh, I'll, I'll just say it. So when, when you have a player that's like guess that, that's guesting or, or trying out or, you know, it, it, maybe the parents think that their kid is a badass. Yeah. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then, and then you throw them into, you know, the lion's den with, you know, your best group of players. And then they realize like, eh, well, I'm not at this level. So what level am yeah. I at? <laughs> so, uh, I, I know I've used it and I believe you have to, uh, as something to kind of showcase like, Hey, you know, you are not at this level yet, but if you want to aspire to be at this level, you know, you can be and, and here might, you know, we, we can talk about a path to get there, but don't, don't expect, uh, don't expect to be playing at this level or getting minutes at this level quite yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It, depending on the situation, if, you know sometimes there's there's kids who think that they're already the top player, and it's just not true, and you gotta give them a little bit of a reality check, so yeah, you're absolutely right. I've done that before <laughs> as well.
0: <laughs> and I was trying to figure out the best way to to present that idea because I think it's important for coaches to know that you know that's that really happens and and that's one way that you can expose players uh, that are a little bit lower than then they think that they that they are, so that's mm-hmm. one easy way to expose players to a, a very competitive and technical and tactical environment just in a in a simple four v one um and, and kind of put them in their place respect- respectfully
1: yeah hundred percent hundred percent
0: okay, sorry, I interrupted you but but continue
1: <laughs> no all good um yeah, so I think I left off it at, at being at. LAFC and working with better players at at the age group and how quickly the the identity starts to take shape. Now that I'm out of the MLS academy setup and I'm I'm at club soccer uh, again, you know it's it's different. Um, there's limitations, there's pay to play, so I have to manage all that. Uh, but still, you know where I am now at Fram the players have taken to it pretty, pretty quickly. I've been there now. um, It's been about like seven, seven or eight months with most of the groups and they're doing very well for their level. They're doing very well. Um, I think that over the years, my experience of delivering the message, establishing a culture has improved and it's allowed you know me to get more out of my players in in a in a shorter time frame so yeah i'm I'm really enjoying it at Fram right now, even though you know it's not the academy level. I think it's been a good experience for me um, after my experiences in the MLS academies, uh, you know there was a lot of difficult moments so coming coming out and and being at Fram, I'm really, really enjoying my work now and what what's being built and and the overall process. And I I think, um, you know, there's some recruiting that has to be done, but I love, I love that challenge. I think I've, over the years I've, I used to be afraid of it, but now I, I look forward to it. I'm hungry. I'm hungrier in that, that aspect of the process.
0: And so one of the things that you and I texted about the other day was showcasing what, each team along the along the way has looked like when it comes to your journey. So starting back at Canyon, I think you mentioned you know the first few years there's no real documentation, but but towards the end of it, you started to to record and as you moved to FC Man United and Golden State and LAFC, I don't think you recorded if if I remember correctly, or or maybe that maybe there is some video when you were coaching with Galaxy South Bay, um and and now at Fram. But there, there's video evidence of your work along the way. And this is where I get pretty fired up and, 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 and very passionate um, when, it, when it comes to who people are learning from and who people, uh, coaches specifically, are looking to for information. And I feel like there's a lot of people out there, and, we, and we've discussed this privately as well, that like to use other people's work uh you know to dissect and 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 kind of show showcase their ideas where you know i i wholeheartedly believe and I, I that you know they should be looking at guys like you like they should be asking you questions instead of other people that that use somebody else's work uh to to teach their lessons and and that's why i i feel like it's super important to to show the videos and they're going to be in the the written portion of this podcast episode on 343coaching.com. So people can go to that and go to there and and see the videos. But um I forget where I was going with that, but I guess I'll 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 just transition back into um you know something that I think can be very helpful to the to the coaches that are listening to this podcast. Again going back to like forming that 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 um base for, for your team and the starting point for, for creating that identity on the field. And you mentioned that one of the tools that you use, and we've talked about this before in other episodes is the four V one, but what else would you say is super important for a coach to, to utilize to, in in order to build that, that base or or that foundation of their identity?
1: I, I think, you know, the rondos are, are a big part of it you know, you're working on almost all aspects of the game besides the finishing part, the decision-making, you know, the, the little things like your, their foot quality, their first touch and getting, getting the players to really hit, I say, cañanasos at each other, like hard passes so that their foot quality gets better and their footwork, their reaction speed gets better, you know, because if we can increase the tempo of play and it's, it's at a level that other teams aren't comfortable with, we have an advantage. Uh, so the Rondos are important in the different variations of the Rondo. But I also think that tactical choreography is so, so important. Because if the whole team, all 11 players are in sync, they're all moving together, the timing of the movements are, are perfect, you know, they all have an understanding of sort of how we want to work the ball forward when we have it you know, how we want to defend as a unit together, depending on where the ball is. You build that understanding between the players doing tactical choreography and training, you know? And, and I think that it, it shows when teams don't do tactical choreographies because it just, as good as the players may be individually, you just sort of see chaos on the field, you know? So I think for me, that's that's super important. In fact, I... I um just added another session to for my teams, all three teams. Uh, so we train Monday, Wednesdays. And then two of the older teams that I coach have like a, a fitness day that they do. But now I've added a third day of on-field training specifically for tactical choreography. And I do it, I have all three teams out, all three teams, O sixes, oh fours, So they're all integrating, they're all gaining different things and working with the different age groups. And then we just, we go through building out of the back. Uh, we'll go through attacking patterns, how we want to attack. We'll go through, you know, defending, how we're going to press the opponent in their half, how we're going to play, you know, the back line. How are they going to move according to, you know, the opponent's attack? So that, for me, has made a huge, huge difference um, back to Canyon FC, that's where I started to do it. It's made a huge difference for me. And I think um the teams that I've coached, them showing that identity, a lot of it is down to down to that. You know, and then the speed of it, the sharpness of it is from the rondos. So yeah, I, I think tactical choreography is probably second on the list. Maybe it may it may be even the first one on the list for me. I'm not sure yet.
0: I want to kind of mention an experience I had recently, where a team has kind of contracted me to be their trainer, either when their coach can't make it or when they want additional training sessions. Which has been really difficult for me because I don't have total control uh, of of the program, and I don't I don't necessarily get to get to be at the games and see the kids play, and and there's no real conversation about you know what they want versus what they need, and so I kind of just go in. With with the idea of you know I'm, I'm just going to get these kids you know some extra touches on the ball. And the other day, you know, we we just so happened to get a little bit bigger area in in the practice field than we normally get, and we had a goal, which is which is kind of rare for for us when I train with this team. And so we did a little bit of like a building out of the back uh, type exercise, which is you know for me it's it's not. You know ideal because I'm working with a team that that likes to play with three in the back, their coach likes to play with three in the back and then two holding midfielders, and so you know just on the fly, I just you know concocted a little bit of a building out of the back with you know a goalkeeper three defenders and and two holding mids, and we kind of just walked through it a few times blah 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 blah, and then I introduced three you know pressure players, and so it ended up being I think six versus three and just you know trying to build out and and get through some gates. And I was just like astonished, like jaw dropped that, you know, they had never worked on that before. And, and, and it was, you know, something that was completely foreign to them. You know, this idea of, oh, we're supposed to, you know, move like this, or, you know, we aren't just supposed to kick the ball when we get it here. And, and, you know, in just one training session, just one 15 minute session, you know, the parents were just like, Wow, that was amazing! Like we've never seen that before the players are like, "Oh my gosh, like you know is this how we're supposed to play on the weekends so it was that like that tactical choreography kind of kind of aspect that you just touched on that really uh that really resembled the the real game uh that that I felt like you know or that i I do feel like a lot of teams are missing, and when you spend your time doing little footwork things and and whatever, um, you know, keep away games and, and, and things like that, small sided games to small goals and things like that, like that, that eats up a lot of your practice time. And then and people don't really leave time for, you know, building out of the back or an attacking pattern or how are we going to transition and things like that. And so I, I, I don't know. Again, Jesus Christ, my, my mind is just fried, I guess, right now. <laughs> um, I, I don't know where I was going with that, but I guess it was maybe a cool story.
1: <laughs> no. You, it- I think that it goes back to the starting point for a coach. You, you find joy in watching certain teams play football, you know, like me growing up, I watched Manchester United and I watched Barcelona. Those are the two teams that I watched growing up. And so naturally I just sort of wanted some football that resembled those, those two, those two clubs. So, but it starts with a vision. When you're doing tactical choreography, you have to have a vision of how you want your teams to play. If you don't have that vision, where do you start? You know, you, I think the first step is, as a coach, you, you have to find a vision of how you want your team to play. You know, with the ball and without the ball, and then you can build on top of that and find the exercises that will help you accomplish that. You'll you'll learn over time how to communicate, you know, the the ideas that, that are in your head to your players and go and sort of going back to the social media thing uh, and communicating with, with players. What's fascinating to me is, you know, on Twitter, you're, you're discussing or debating an idea with usually adults, you know, not someone that a youth coach, a youth coach would be working with in their environment. So it, it doesn't really matter how you communicate your ideas on social media. That doesn't make you a good coach. You have to be able to go into your environment and deliver the message in, in a way that young players can understand it. And then even within that environment, there's different, there's different types of youth players. You have multi-sport type players, more casual type players how do you communicate with them and get them to understand what you want or you have soccer first household kids grown up playing soccer he's playing with his brother his uncle his dad the language that you can use with those players is much different and you have to get all these different types of players to buy into what you want so how you talk about it on social media at the end of the day it doesn't matter it's what you do in your environment and like you said the only way to show that type of work is video evidence what does it look like when your teams play
0: yeah it's so funny i'm so, I'm super happy you, you brought that up because you know in a way i guess you could call it kind of like you know soccer porn or coach porn where people kind of get on social media and and they try to impress each other with their videos of you know dissecting a professional team or 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 you know their their cool blog post or or things like that but it's like yeah, those, those ideas, unless you can translate those and you can show evidence that that translated to your players, it doesn't fucking matter. Like that, yeah. that shit doesn't fucking matter. And it makes me so mad that, like, you know, people like to babble and people can read into that however they, they want. All right. So the, the, this guy or these guys like to babble about, about topics and, and, and provide their perspective. But it's like, dude, where, where is you? implementing this fucking idea like you're you're showing evidence of somebody else's fucking team doing this thing right not you that's somebody else's team where's your team that makes me so frustrated so I'm super glad you brought that up and allowed me the opportunity to to soapbox for a second
1: <laughs> of course man and and you know me me putting my work on online and social media like I don't think of it as a way to to brag or boast my work i think of it as a way like like i i i think i'll be honest i think my work sucks that's what i think and i know that by putting it out there to the public i'm going to hold myself accountable and it's going to keep me hungry to keep making it better that's why i do it you know because if i if i hide i i can say whatever i want with my words on social media but that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm improving my work or my work is good. So I do it in a way like, like because I'm insecure. I'm insecure about my work, and I know that if I put it out there, as difficult as that may be, I'm holding myself accountable to keep, keep moving forward, keep progressing, and make the experience better for, for the players and everybody
0: involved. Yeah, 100%. And I know that you've gone through the newer style U.S. soccer coaching courses. Did you get your B? Or just your C? No, I just have my C. Okay, so I I know that you've had the same opportunity that I've that I've had, and that that some of the other other people that have been on the show have had, of you know being mic'd up and recorded, and having to go through you know a, a dissection process with either a group of people or a classroom full of people, or, an, or at least an individual instructor. But but if coaches that are listening to this are not recording their training sessions and are not recording their games and are not reviewing all of that footage in order to make themselves better they're doing themselves and their teams a disservice and you know you don't need to put videos on YouTube or Vimeo and 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 acquire you know millions of likes and and, and views and and things like that like no like like you mentioned it's not about bragging but there is a very, very good arena or it is a very good arena to get feedback and to get honest feedback and to have people tell you, you fucking suck, dude, or be like, hey, like, you know, that was really good. How did how did you do that? And that gives you an opportunity to teach or or, or talk about your process. And I think those are super valuable experiences. But the first step is is being willing and 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 able, I guess, to to record your sessions and your games. And just sit down and watch those things and dissect your own work. Too yeah. many people do not do that. Too many coaches do not do that. That, that should be a fucking requirement in, in the United States. That if you want to, if you want to have an opinion about you know, youth soccer, record yourself coaching youth soccer.
1: Yeah, I, it, you're right. I think it's difficult because in, in, the, in the training session, in the moment, you're focused on the players more and what they're doing. And then trying to, to help them in whatever way you can. You're not necessarily thinking about yourself in the moment and all the little details of maybe how you're delivering the message, your body language, you know, those types of things. So, for me at least, being able to go back and review that, whether it's through video, and I think I said this on one of our previous podcasts, like take your phone and just put on the, the recording app you know, put it close to you somewhere where it picks up your voice when you're delivering the message, then you can go back and and review how you did that and just fine tune it over over time. I think that that's important. Yeah, because for me, I'm I'm more focused on the players in the moment of the training session, what I need to get out of them. And then after the training session is when I find time to reflect on, uh, you know, myself and how I did within the training session. And thinking back, of, oh, this sucked. I need okay. This has to change, or this was good. Maybe I can, maybe I can focus on this a little bit more during the session. Those types of things, and yeah, man, that, that definitely helps.
0: Yeah, one of the the things that came to mind the other day, I was I was the assistant referee for, uh, man, they must have been U thirteen boys, I think, either U twelve or U thirteen boys, and the coach, what he was saying to the players during the game. You know, and granted, I've never seen this coach train his teams or, or anything like that, but just the the message that he was giving the players to me seemed confusing, and the players didn't seem to understand the the language or the words or the ideas the coach was trying to transmit. And so one of the benefits of holding your phone and, and just recording your audio during a a training exercise at practice no you don't even need to do video actually it'd probably be cool to do it without video just just the audio and play it back to yourself and listen to it be like do i even understand what i'm asking these players to do were my instructions clear were my expectations clear and i and i feel like that alone that exercise alone of recording yourself would you know pay massive dividends to a lot of youth coaches and, and the way that Michael Perkins worded it just the other day when I talked to him was like, you know, what are the throwaway lines? What, what, what doesn't make sense to this particular exercise? You know, what don't I need to say to these players? And I feel like that you, if, if you go through that exercise of recording yourself, you would learn a ton, you would learn a ton. So like yeah. at this point, I feel like I'm just begging coaches to go through this exercise with themselves of recording video and audio like it's so beneficial i can't stress it enough
1: yeah i i my experiences and because coaching training sessions and coaching games are are two different things right Yep. in the game in a game situation there's so much more emotion involved you know and what i've realized over my process of, of many years in the beginning the emotions got the best of me a lot. And I would, I would just say things that just sort of popped into my head. I didn't really think about it too much. And I'd, I'd hear it later. I'd be like, I'd cringe. Oh my God. I can't believe I said that, you know, but it was just that emotion taking over me and, and me just saying something without having too much control. And I think, Analyzing myself, self-reflecting video. I, you know, sometimes when I watch the games, how do I act on the sideline? Is it good? Is it bad? And, you know, does it help? Does it does it make things worse? I've I've gotten better at controlling the emotion of all the things that go on in a youth soccer game. You know, uh, depending on what level you're at, you know, or or the culture of your team. Like, there's parents there. They're yelling. They're saying stuff. Uh, the, the referee can affect things. You have to keep control of your emotions to, to to be able to first analyze and read what's going on in the game. and then second, be able to communicate effectively and efficiently so that your players maybe can pick up a couple things tactically during the game that can help them, you know uh, take advantage of the opponent's weakness. That's definitely something that has improved for me over the years. And yeah, you're right. It's it that's happened because I've gone back and I've seen video or I've I've heard audio of myself coaching in the middle of a game.
0: It reminds me of uh a part of a of a book I read recently. Um people are, are probably familiar. I feel like that like there's a weird like connection I have with guys like Tim Ferris and and Gary V and like this community kind of you know those guys were very very big inspirations to me and i feel like that people that listen to this show also listen to those guys but um and joe rogan actually um but one of the guys that that kind of frequents that circle is, is jocko willink and so i've gotten exposed to a little bit of his work and he's this ex you know navy seal badass and and what you just talked about right now is like your emotions getting the best of you in those early in those early years um you know most likely came to either you know lack of experience or lack of training and and once you kind of get yourself in into you know uh, you know training uh how to, how to react in in those situations or or knowing what's most valuable in those situations like hey you know i need to be aware as a coach that my team needs me to stay focus during this moment where they're going to lose focus because they're going to become emotional, right? And so what, what you reminded me of when you were talking was a, a, a portion of Jocko, one of Jocko's books, where he talks about the importance of, of real like simulation training, whether it's, you know, going in, going into battle or going to the shooting range or, um, you know, going through like a, a rescue operation. And so that way when it's real, you know, when it's game day for him, you know, when it's time to go to war or, or you know, a hostage situation, whatever, you know, he's got some extreme stories, that that he's prepared for it. And so I feel like, you know, if we translate that in, you know, a very, very watered-down way to soccer, you know, if we aren't training for these real situations that are going to happen in real matches, well, we're, again, we're doing a disservice and to the players, number one, but to yourself as a coach. It's like if you're not prepared to handle your emotions in those situations because you've never trained how you are going to react in those situations or what's most important in those situations, well yeah, you know, you're probably going to fail when it, when it comes time to, you know, for the real test. And so that that's yeah. where my mind went when when you first started talking about that and then it goes back to what you've said about the tactical choreography and, and having the vision and, and how everything just ties together. Like it's amazing yeah. how how everything just ties together.
1: Yeah, I think having the video footage, having audio footage, it just speeds up the process because it makes you more aware of the behaviors that are going on if you don't have that stuff you have to try to just think back in your brain like okay this happened this and you miss a lot of stuff doing it that way whereas you have video you see everything and you can you can uh focus in on a couple things that you see or you notice you can always go back to it again and try to find different things so yeah that's that sort of stuff speeds up the process you know maybe over time you can still improve those things but You know, from my experience, I feel like without video footage, without audio, being able to go back and hear and see things in their entirety, uh, it's definitely sped up the process for me. And I also want to say that I don't want people to misunderstand. I, I think emotion on the sideline can be a very good thing, but I've had to learn to harness it and make sure that I use it in a positive way. And you look at examples at the highest level. Cholo Simeone, Pep Guardiola, uh, Maurizio Sarri. These guys are almost standing the entire game. Antonio Tante was another one. They're on the sideline the entire game. They're shouting. They're showing passion. They're showing emotion. But at that level, man, those guys have, have really fine-tuned uh, how to harness those those things to be able to help their team and not let it be a negative thing. And they still mess up. I, I, I've heard coaches admit to mistakes at the highest level, you know? So we're all human, but yeah, yeah, I think those Go good. Go
0: ahead. (laughs) I forgot my thought now. So (laughs) yeah. One of the, one of the things that jumps out at me is, and I, and I keep a very close eye on this, Just because you know some of the personal mistakes that I've made in the past, but you know when 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 there's an interaction on the field that is unfavorable to your team, and I think something that a lot of coaches can relate to is maybe a call doesn't go your way. How do you react to that as a coach, right? And so when you talk about you know lacking emotion, people might take that as. You know, you're supposed to sit down and be quiet and and not argue with the referee. It's like, well, okay, I agree to that to, to some extent, right? But you can be emotional and react when that call is made in a much better way. And so what I'm referring to is that, hey, you know, something unfavorable happened to your team and they need some type of direction. So if a foul gets called, instead of yelling at the referee, instead, how can I, you know, coach my team through this moment like what needs to happen at this moment so that we either don't get countered on right away or you know we can win the ball back and go counter on ourselves get ourselves into a better position like that is a much better use of your energy and your emotion than trying to argue with the referee now granted like the the, the guys that you mentioned like Simeone and, and and other people like of course like there are times and and you know they're all over YouTube of you know, these guys losing their cool and getting thrown out of games. And, and, and that's, you know, that's going to happen, unfortunately. Um, there, there's no other way to, to put that. But if you watch those guys more often than not, if you watch Simeone and a call doesn't go his way, more often than not, when he's screaming and yelling, he's screaming and yelling at his own guys like, hey, guys, here's what we need to do next. Like, get ready yeah. for this. And I feel like that gets overlooked so often.
1: Yep. Yeah, the game doesn't stop. So if you're focused on something that's already happened, the negative, you're complaining about it, you could be punished if you're not set up properly. Hundred percent, I agree.
0: Well, shit, dude, I didn't expect to talk about that type of stuff today, but I feel like it all, like again, <laughs> it, it all, it all ties back into you know the the original premise of of the episode of of what we were texting about the other day is is you know. Getting that video evidence out to people, like, hey, like you know, here's what the process has looked and looked like for for a coach that has done this, you know, year after year after year, level after level after level, you know, a different club after different club after different club. Like, here here's how an identity from a coach travels with him, you know, from spot to spot. And that was kind of the genesis of the idea, and that led us to talking about, you know, you know reviewing your 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 sessions and your games. And and I feel like that's a super important topics. I'm, I'm glad we got to it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think it's, I'm happy that I got to share maybe some of the, some of the things that I feel help my process and what has allowed me to, to create those videos along the way, I think are the things that, that we've discussed, you know, and I don't, I'm not the best. I'm not perfect in my own brain. You know, I think that I suck. when i'm when I'm in the moment in training and and coaching games, in that moment, I believe like i'm I'm good. I'm good at what I do. i I think you have to be confident in that moment in your work, and then you you take the time afterwards to reflect and you start to realize like, ah oh, this sucks. like that has to change. That has to get better. I think you I, I try my best to be humble. and you know I know. I, I'll be honest, I'm not the best at articulating my thoughts on social media. And I think maybe (laughs) over the years I've come across like being a know-it-all and I'm just going to put it out there right now. I don't know shit. All I know is, you know, my own little field of being a coach and working with different levels and age group groups in the youth game. You know, that's, that's what I feel like I know. And I'm, I'm working towards mastery in that area. Am I there yet? No, not at all. But, you know, I, I, I do still believe that I'm, I'm on the right track and what I've done so far is good, and I have to continue to learn to, to ultimately reach mastery. But yeah, I, I know that when I listen to the podcast, John, I enjoy these conversations as well and hearing what other people are doing in their process. And I've even started to go outside of soccer a little bit and I've become fascinated with like uh, UFC. And, and coaches in the UFC and the process that they go through to prepare fighters, you know, because they're, they're preparing, training, training for weeks and weeks and weeks for one fight, you know, and then the process sort of starts over again. Um, and I've also started to become fascinated with comedians and their process. I listened to Joe Rogan as well. And it's fascinating to hear him talk about, you know, he just released his Netflix special and how, you know he spent the past 2 years uh creating that that um that performance for that for that Netflix for the Netflix special. I think those things are are good to hear and potentially there's things that you can take away from from those types of people.
0: Dude, I'm I'm super happy you brought this up because this is this is two points that I think tie into to everything we've talked about today. So, you mentioned MMA and you mentioned Joe Rogan. So just the other day, Joe Rogan had Conor McGregor's coach uh, on the show, and and this has been Conor McGregor's coach for years and years and years. Like since Conor was like sixteen or seventeen years old, this guy has been uh, by Conor's side. And so Joe Rogan was asking him about the the Habib fight, and you know what what they did to prepare for for Habib, and and you know did they bring in like a special type of wrestling coach? for, for the fight. And if there's a rematch will they bring in a special type of wrestling coach and, and the guy just, I loved his answer. And, and it, and and it makes sense when I relate it back to the soccer side of things. Right. It's like the guy said like, Hey, Joe, like, you know, that's not part of our philosophy to just bring in like this guy for, for two, three weeks and, and to work on wrestling. Like, like that's not part of, you know, our, our, our regiment, and I, I don't know if there's, there's benefit there to do that. Like we believe in, in something and, and that's what we train. And that's exactly what youth soccer coaches, that the mindset that, that youth soccer coaches need to adopt is that, you know, when you see this, this, you know, shiny new thing or the shiny new drill or, you know, a, a YouTube video or, or something like that, like you don't need to cram that into your, your, your training session. Like, you need to have your philosophy. You need to dial in your philosophy and your vision first. And, and if, if something doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. Like, like th- It's fine. And so w- when I heard him talking about that and, and h- how Joe kind of like reacted to it, I was like, that, that relates perfectly, perfectly to the soccer world. And, mm-hmm. and when, you, when you think about guys like Maurizio Sari or, or, fuck, I can't even say his name. Um, or Pep, or you know the 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 you know the, the common names, right? Um, yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, why would those guys bring in a wrestling coach if 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 they're strikers, right? So yeah. that 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 really really fascinated me to to hear that conversation from you know a guy that's an absolute expert.
1: Yeah, I heard that as well. And one of the things that popped into my brain as I as I was listening to it was. You know, relating it back to the soccer world, here you have—I believe his name is Kavanaugh—is the coach for Conor McGregor. Yeah, the guy's an expert. The guy's an expert. He's not always in the in the public eye or in the media. He's in the gym day in, day out. He's a practitioner. He's working on you know his craft. The guy knows his stuff. And then you look at you know Joe Rogan. He's a commentator, well respected, of course, but. The way that he posed the question, you know, in his mind, like he thought that was maybe the case that they brought in a certain person to, to address maybe that area of what Connor was going to see in the fight. But then the expert said, no, 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 we don't need to do that. You know, we have our philosophy of doing things. We keep it. He basically said, we keep it simple, you know, we keep it simple. So it was fascinating to see like the guy who's more so in the media. Joe Rogan, who's a commentator for the UFC, he has podcasts about, you know, the fights and whatnot, you know, the way that he posed the question to Kavanaugh and then the way that Kavanaugh answered the question. I think that that is very relatable to the soccer world as well.
0: Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, he mentioned something about how they spend, you know, an enormous amount of time just training the, fo- the like the foundation, like the base of of the skills. Uh, yeah. I'm going to try my yeah, best he, to... He- Go ahead
1: he 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 spoke about like his the strengths of Conor and continuing to focus on the strengths and he even said like after the fight he he was reflecting and and he said to himself that he spent too much time focusing on defending what Khabib was going to do instead of focusing on what what Conor's strengths were and continuing with those strengths in the fight. So I, I think as soccer coaches as well, you know, we, we have our vision. We have what the way that we want our teams to play. That should be the ultimate focus. Yeah, you have to make your team aware of, you know, the opponent a little bit. But if you prepare too much to ad- adapt to the opponent, you take away from what you're working on most of the time in your own environment and what your strengths are as a team fascinating how the two the two worlds can relate
0: yeah 100 percent. and it reminds me of a of a old interview with caleb porter when he i think he was still the coach at akron and the the coach you know at that time caleb was playing a, a style of soccer his teams were playing a style of soccer that was really really impressive and really really unique to the college soccer world where it was like this possession base on the ground using the midfielders type of soccer and the, the guy or, 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 or person that asked him a question about, like, how often do you train defense? Like, they were asking, like, a defensive question. And, and Caleb was like, never. Like, you know, 90% of our time or 80% of our time is spent on training when we have the ball. And that was yeah. their strength. And then, you know, they, because they, they, they knew that was their strength and they trained it so much, they just fucking dominated teams and they didn't need to work on on the defensive aspects of uh, of the game and and of course you know if people look at the progression through MLS like something changed with Caleb um along the way and and I'd be curious to know if that changed like like did you guys or did he did he change his philosophy on like were they training you know 50-50 you know offense defense or or was it still a 90-10 because it, it, it didn't appear to be a 90-10 toward, towards the end of his time with Portland, in my opinion. Right. But, right. Uh, but yeah, they, you know, it, it's just funny when you can draw those, those correlations in, into different fields, whether you're talking about MMA or comedy, soccer, basketball, and badminton, whatever.
1: Yeah, there definitely are those similarities and things that you can relate to in other fields. And I just recently started to explore those things. For many years, I was just like, no, nah, soccer, soccer, soccer. But <laughs> it's, it's helped. It's helped to kind of step outside of that and view other things. You gain perspective, you know, which is important.
0: Yeah, yeah for sure. And now what's popping in my head is people are going to either roast me or roast you or roast us. Like, oh, how come you guys roasted Bruce Arena when he said that he can learn a lot from... Bill Belichick. Oh God. So I'm, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully nobody brings that up. Hey man. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I think another, another solid episode with you. I think people are going to be happy to hear from you. Um, re- remind everybody where they can reach out and, and connect with you.
1: Yeah. So I'm on Twitter. Uh, supremacy at SupremacyTF. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Joey Cassio. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Joey Cassio. those are probably the best places to, to get in touch. And then I also have the YouTube channel, and I think uh, we'll share that. Yeah. We're going to yep. figure out a way to share the episode or my, my videos, so they can get a link to that. And yep. I'm, always, I'm always open to discussing. sometimes a lot going on in my life. I, I don't get back to everything, but I try my best. So please reach out. I'm I'm happy to, to talk to anyone who's willing to interact.
0: All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast and a big thank you to my guest on today's episode, Joey Cassio. If you would like to see the video of Joey's teams executing great work, you can find that video on 343coaching.com. And while you are there, you can find out how to help support this podcast and to better yourself as a coach. We offer two programs, a free program and a premium program. And each of those is on full display in the video of uh, Joey's teams executing that great work. So if you want your teams to be able to play like that and build out of the back and go forward in an organized way, have the right ideas and just freaking dominate teams you can check out the three, four, three coaching education programs and this is usually where I add in like a little bit of a testimonial I usually use a, a clip from Tom Beyer who is somebody that everybody's well, not everybody but most people are familiar with in the youth soccer landscape I'm not going to this episode I feel like Joey uh, Joey this entire episode is, is a testimonial to the program so if you need more than that uh, I don't know maybe, maybe it's not for you but if you're interested at all if, if we have your attention please go check it out Uh, I think that it's going to help you as a coach. I think it's going to help you narrow down exactly what you need to be working on in order to get those same type of results and that same style of play to come to life on the field. So with that, we will end today's episode and we will catch you next time here on the 343 podcast. Thank you so much for listening.